episode 171 of Friends of Film. We're here to the latest movie news and review the biggest new release, which this week is The Curse of La Llorona. As always, I'm your host, Drew Wood, once again joined by Josh Traley. Hello, everyone. Hello, Cooper. Hey. I have a question for you. Okay. Well, I have a question. It's not a question. It's a brag, actually. Oh, boy. Um, this week, I was doing the Lord's work on Twitter, as per usual. Uh-huh. And I believe it was my obscure tweet that I retweeted from a friend, Nate, who said that Netflix needs a shuffle episode feature. And then I retweeted it and said, yes, it does. And then guess what? They added one. Or they announced that they may have one? They're testing one. Ooh, so you and Nate are changing the game. We changed, yes, changing the game. Like, listen, I don't want to overstate the power of my tweets, but they are pretty powerful. So, but you are all for this shuffling feature. Yeah, why not? Like, have a rant, be able to be like, oh, I don't care what episode of The Office I want to watch, shuffle, and it'll take you to something you always skip over, but then realize, oh, there's so many little delightful moments in there. But what I really think we need is a playlist feature. Okay. So that way we can end-to-end watch Christmas episodes of The Office. Okay, yeah. Thanksgiving episodes of Friends, mm-hmm. or just put a bunch of Christmas movies in a playlist together that can play on a loop constantly during the holiday season. That's not bad. I like that. And then at the end of everything, they'd just be like, are you still watching? And be like, duh, I'm still watching. But I wonder if that's what like their recommended features for. It's like, hey, you just finished this movie. Here's five other movies that yes. you may like that are similar in vain. But at the same time, although I like some Christmas movies, I don't like all Christmas movies. So just let me pick the ones. Okay. Because then I can slot in Iron Man 3 and <laughs> then also Die Hard in right. between Elf and Kurt Russell's Santa Claus movie. Absolutely. Which his name I've forgotten already. The Christmas Chronicles. There we go. I don't know. There's no reason I shouldn't know that. <laughs> it's um, a great movie. Yeah, exactly. But speaking of tweets and their power, we have a Twitter, and you can find us on there, at Friends in Film. But most importantly, you want to know our reviews of other movies. And those are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, anywhere podcasts can be found. But most importantly, if you can, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That'll ultimately help rank us, and then we can get more friends of the show. That's correct. And we also have a website, friendsfilm.wordpress.com, which has currently gone two weeks without review. That's my fault, because uh, didn't really have enough words to write about Missing Link. And I don't think there will be one coming for Cursed Light on either, because... It's, I don't have anything else really to say besides what I'm going to say on this podcast here. You're resting your fingers for and Yeah, game. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm laying off. And, yeah, because I mean, who knows how long that review is going to be. Mm-hmm. If, if I can even manage the power to write a review, we don't it's know. It's got to be about the movie and then the essence of Marvel itself. Oof, I'll just write a, an essay about the MCU. <laughs> and somehow try to review the culmination of a 22-film narrative all at the same time. It'll, mm-hmm. be, it'll be impossible, but this is the last main show before Endgame and that is just wild to say it out is loud. wild because I, I can't believe it but before we get to Endgame next week before we get into our review of Curse of La Llorona Josh did either of us watch anything this week yes I did I mean I hope so I know what I watched um, I watched a nonfiction film just last night called The Curve of the Earth or no Behind the Curve which is a nonfiction about flat earthers and it's, it's it's basically ludicrous. It's ludicrous to watch these people who don't believe that the Earth is round. Is Kyrie Irving on there? Kyrie Irving is mentioned, but he's not interviewed uh-huh. or anything like that. The move the movie follows a guy by the name of Mark Sargent, and he was basically flat earther number one. 
or, um, or patient zero for flat earther in the modern era, YouTube era. But the best part is there's this like romance that develops or that they like pick up on and play with between him and uh, Patricia Steer, who runs another flat earther kind of like conspiracy show on YouTube. <laughs> okay. And it is, you can cut the sexual tension in it with a knife but they're always like, oh, no, we're just friends and everything like that. And then you could just totally tell Mark's like, I want to date you. <laughs> but it's just it's like she's just like she's like friend zoned him or like they're just uh-huh. like they're past that point in their relationship. And it's just so funny the way they pit those two together in their conversations all while in the midst of this, this like flat earth mockumentary thing. <laughs> Okay, so it's done with like a joking nature. Or it's is done it? with a joking nature, but these but people they don't know are, it. But the people are serious about this, and that's <laughs> okay. why it's so funny. Um, and then it just exposes the ludicrous infighting that people have, and mm-hmm. the the non self awareness that they have. Like they'll be talking about how they point to other people being conspiracy theorists and working for the government, and then those people get mad, and then they point the finger back at them, and they're like, how can they come up with such hurtful conspiracies and things <laughs> like that? It's just nuts. It's on Netflix. you got to watch it. Um, highly recommend. Okay. Uh, I have not really watched anything this week besides Marvel movies mm-hmm. in the anticipation of Endgame. I am, uh, let's see, I'm uh, 20 out of 21 movies down at this Ooh. point. So I've just got the big one. Avengers and Fandy were left to go uh, based on my chronological in quotes viewing order, which has kind of messed things up a little bit. Um, but uh, this past week I watched Spider-Man Homecoming, Doctor Strange, Thor Ragnarok and Ant-Man and the Wasp. And of the bunch, Homecoming is my favorite. And I think that movie just keeps getting better every time I watch it, honestly. like Homecoming? Yeah. Really? Yeah. You watched did you watch Ragnarok? Uh huh. And you're saying Homecoming? Oh Ragnarok. yeah. Oh yeah. That's wow. not even a question. It's not even a question. I haven't watched Homecoming all the way through in a while, so it's it's just so good. Like Tom, like I would, the Spider-Man stuff is great, but honestly, I think the Peter Parker stuff is just off the charts amazing because like Tom Holland is so good mm-hmm. in that role and his school True. life, but also the flirtation with, um, uh. Yes, with Liz, and it's just, man, it, and then the Michael Keaton stuff is just so, so good that, yeah, I mean, I, Ragnarok is really funny, but there's just, there's some, like, emotional, like, stakes and everything to Homecoming that I think just gets at me a little better. It's the end of Asgard, but, yeah, like, but, it, but Peter Parker's girlfriend's more important. Yeah, but that's the thing with Ragnarok. <laughs> it doesn't take any of those moments seriously. That's true. It's, oh, there's the destruction of Asgard. Well, oh, well, let's have a Korg one-liner real quick. It's like, no, but, like... How am I supposed to care about that when Korg's over there making jokes? Oh, you're not. That's the best part. Exactly. So there, it, it's eliminating those emotional stakes all at the same time. Yeah, it's, 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 it's funny though too. I mean, I know this is, we're we're losing track here, but uh, Thor basically takes how you feel about um, the the Thor Ragnarok takes how you feel about the Thor franchise and basically says, "We know you don't care, so let's just laugh about it all yeah. the way through." Which, which is fine, but it. it it still makes it like a little weird in comparison mm. to like what came before. Michael Keaton was on Saturday Night Live um, last week, I think, and he played Julian Assange because he was taken out of the embassy or whatever, and he's just playing like a ludicrous nuts guy. Mm-hmm. And as I was watching it, I'm like, oh, that's right. He played a, comp- a totally great ludicrous vulture. Um, so he's great. He's got crazy down to a T. Yeah, and he's going to be in Far From Home, supposedly, later this year. So, I man... I cannot wait to see how that comes into play. Same here. But that's enough Marvel talk. We'll have plenty of that next week. I can guarantee you that. Um, let's talk about Curse of La Llorona. Um, 
a movie that is surprisingly part of the Conjuring universe, which I don't think is a spoiler to say um, because it's already out there before, even though they're not, they're not marketing the movie as part of the large universe. Mm-hmm. So going into this movie then, I've only seen two other installments of the six-film uh, chronology so far. You've seen The Nun and... And The Conjuring. The Conjuring. Good. So I've seen the first one and the last one that came before this one. You've seen the best one and the worst one. Uh, I mean, from what I've seen, yes. <laughs> yeah, okay, gotcha. <laughs> but I know other people, like the first Annabelle, a lot of people do not like as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not seen it, so I don't know if it's worse than The Nun or not. But I can say that La Llorona is better than The Nun, but definitely not as good as The Conjuring. Okay. It's pretty much just middle of the road. This is a fine thriller. There's nothing real special about it. Like, I think Linda Cardellini really gives it her all in like letting herself be thrown around a roof or, you know, screaming at the top of her lungs or just trying to fight La Llorona. Like she, she really goes for it. And I appreciate it for that. Um, it's not as, you know, uh, the, it's not as much as like the kick, butt like Linda Carlini, like I was kind of maybe hoping I would have seen, which I don't know really why I was expecting to see that in a horror movie to begin with. But I think the, the best parts of the movie are is the camera work. Michael Chavez, the first time director, uh, he does, uh, or maybe it's Chaves. I'm not, totally sure um but he does i think he does a serviceable job as director and he obviously impressed james wan the producer and gary dobberman because he is taking over for james wan to direct the conjuring three next um so i think he looks to be a fine director in the genre i think he just probably needs a little better material to you know give us something that's better than just an average horror movie at this point but the camera work was um impressive i thought from the start well not directly from the start but the first time we get to 1973 los angeles yeah there's just a nice i believe continuous tracking shot all the way through the the main house set which i was like okay mm-hmm. you got me on board already um it doesn't totally stick with that kind of camera work throughout the whole movie but there are nice moments to it um the the tone is is creepy throughout you know my heart's racing a little bit faster than it normally does i think during these movies but i think that's just me in general because i'm not an avid watcher of these but um even to that point this movie never got to the point where i was scared legitimately about really anything it's really? like okay like yes la Llorona has a creepy look but like there was never a moment where um i was like legitimately like terrified or even like 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 really made my heart race by anything that was happening in this movie it was all just all right uh, all right here comes she's gonna appear after this when the camera pans back over she's gonna pop out of here here's where she's gonna appear like all that stuff was just like felt very formulaic to me um i also kind of wish that the kids got a little bit more of a focus in this movie and it's kind of surprising to say this movie's an hour and a half because it doesn't feel that short it feels longer um than it needs to be but now i'm also saying i want more from it because i think the kids in a lot of ways are the heart of the movie because mm-hmm. that's what light is ultimately after but they never get a moment to, to talk to talk about what they're experiencing or with linda cardellini or even with each other yep. and i feel like that was a real missed opportunity that would have added something to this that i feel like we don't really get to see a lot in other horror movies so other than that, I've, there's like one other thing I want to talk about, but it's probably best to save for spoilers. So I'm going to give it two and a half ticket subs out of five. It's fine. I think if you're a fan of thrillers or these horror movies or the Conjuring universe, go check it out. There's some fun nods for you to pick up on. But other than that, I think there's no reason to like rush out to go see this one. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I think I'm going to echo a lot of what you said. Uh, I think I do believe it is Chavez. Um, 
but uh, he does a great job of basically m- kind of bringing like a West Craven like atmosphere mm-hmm. to these movies. I mean, it, like it's even set in the seventies, and so like when we're there, you he kind of adopts that attitude of a thriller horror for us. You know, it almost feels like a period horror film in a yeah. lot of ways. And to his credit, he aces that part of it. Um, longer takes. Um, for the most part, until you get into the thick of where you have to cut all over the place around CG and all of these visual effects and things like that for Mariona um, when she appears. Uh, and for the most part, you're right. Linda Carnalini is fantastic. I mean, she, she's fantastic, and I hope she gets an elevated profile here. She plays a wounded, terrified mother in a lot of ways going through grief, but the story never leans in on that. Instead, um, right before we started taping, you called it like paint by the numbers horror. And that's what it transcends into or just dives into a little bit. I don't know if it's because the, the script didn't have a right focus or whatever the case was. It's lacking a personal um, emotion, rather something to hook you in other than that captivating one take or the mm-hmm. entrancing um, you know, misdirection cues from horror before getting you into it. Um and that's where it really loses you. Yadirona is terrifying and creepy. And like when you hear her coming, like when you hear the, the calling cards start to get mm-hmm. laid out, those signs kind of, you know, are good jeers and can make you like smirk and be like, oh boy, here we come. She's coming for you. Look out, little kid. And that that's really more of the fun than the actual scares or anything like that. Because when they come, you're like, oh, that was a little bit obvious. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you can see it all coming in a lot of ways. Um, it's haunt- it's haunting um, in, a, in plenty of places, but without any real emotion behind it, you just kind of be like, oh, it's kind of cool how they did that. It, I just it lost, the story lost me and I just appreciated the art that was mm-hmm. going on, the, the production. And that's kind of sad because um, I would have liked to have gotten lost in, 1970s in Los right. Angeles in all those ways and like it's not a story that I'm familiar with at mm-hmm. all and I had wished that they could have you know let me in on that a little bit more um, especially because the history of La Llorona is dark and horrifying in so many ways and it felt like they could have connected that to the story better but um, they really didn't and that's a great point about the kids like even too they're the ones in danger here um, really mm-hmm. And it's not their perspective. And if, and if it's, since it's not their perspective, it's supposed to be Linda Cardellini's, and we don't have that. Or we don't really get inside her head more. And that's just the real disappointment yeah. um, all the way through. But at the same time, I enjoyed it. Um, the runtime was perfect for me, 90 minutes. I didn't feel like it dragged at all. But there were a couple like... You know, like when you're setting up for the obvious over and over and over again, Mm -hmm. that's when it becomes disappointing and you just sort of like, all right, yeah, I get it. But it it was over well enough. So I'd have to get a credit for that. So I'm going to go slightly higher than you, um, putting a stamp on it and say three ticket stubs out of five. It's just fine. Mm -hmm. No better, no worse. I probably won't watch it again. Okay. Well, you already answered that part, but let's Mm -hmm. move in to spoiler territory just to run over a couple things here real quick. Um, the one thing that I was alluding to that I didn't really like about the movie, um, from a, a plot perspective was the decision to make Patricia, the mom of the other two kids who died in the movie by La Yona, making her a secondary villain to the piece by revealing that she prayed to La Yona to come after Anna's kids, which I was just like, 
I don't know why, why was that the direction this needed to go? Like Chris, I, I believe the boy's name is Chris. Like he already saw her mm-hmm. at the crime scene and was touched by her then. So I thought they were just linked then and there altogether. And, and then I was just wondering, okay, well, how does she choose her targets? Does it have to be, um, you know, a single mother or a, a a family without a father figure involved because that's what it looked to be with Patricia's family and Anna was recently widowed as well so that's where I thought they were going and then to have it be like a revenge mom thing I was mm-hmm. just like like why are, why are you pitting the two moms against each other to like kill two kids to get the other kids back and then for her to have her storm the house at the end to try to sacrifice them again and then turn around and help save them I was just like I didn't. I didn't like that aspect of the story. Yeah, it, well, it moves us out of like this dark folklore tale to her just being like a club that you can pick up and bludgeon your enemies with. <laughs> yeah, you know, and like, and that's the part that needed connection mm-hmm. was like may, that. Maybe that could have worked for me. You know, like you have these two people who are grieving in some kind of way um, for kill for their for children or for her husband. Mm-hmm. But we, there's just, we're not allowed for that to linger at all. I mean, Jaws does a better job of like, you know, like letting like you feel like, uh, you know, kind of danger in the world, father and son relationship than this movie does. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of important to get that there. But yeah, it just turns into a, you know, like roll up and punch him out or whatever the case is like the, the final fight and yeah like you said it feels like a th- like you said a thriller rather than yeah, something it's not really a horror. horror yeah um and so like when we that yeah that was disappointing for me especially when i caught on to that yeah or you can like you're like oh i guess that's what's co- where, where we're going mm-hmm. when she shows up there yeah I was like, oh come on like could have done something else I, i'm already worried about la llorona i'm not I wasn't ready for like, oh, let's toss a mystery in right. here too. Uh, no, yeah. thank you. Especially because like they set it up to be, oh, La, La Llorona is stepping over, you know, the the red tree seeds or whatever was on, on the doorstep. Like she's broken through the barrier somehow. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, like where are we going with this? And then it's like, oh, but it was actually just, you know, the other mom. And it's like, yeah. oh, come on. And I also, also, what was their plan there at the end? They lock the kids in the closet and then they stay in a different section of the house. Her and the ex-pastor. I was like, what? Oh, yeah, Father Pre- I, I, that, all of that, it seemed like it made sense as I was watching it. I guess I never questioned it. <laughs> I, like, I, at first, I thought, like, they were in the closet, and then Anna and Overa, I think was his name, uh, like, mm-hmm. were, like, in the same room or the room adjacent to them or something. But it seemed like they were on completely opposite sides of the house for Patricia to be able to get inside the house, open up the closet, and then, like, have time to take them out of there and get all the way to the front door Yeah. before... Anna and Overa like get there to try to stop her. I was like, "What? Um, like, like you're being haunted by this like demon, and right. your your plan is to divide <laughs> and put the people that they want in a completely different section of the house? That just seems so stupid." Yeah, well, it's the, the dumb horror thing. So like, you have to, you got yeah. like it's it, it's the um it's the bad choice for maximum drama. Sure, but I thought the bad choice was gonna be like, "Oh, they went to the attic, idiots!" And, mm-hmm. Like it was kind of a bad choice, anyways. Well, it was. But like putting them in a closet especially because like i thought they were going to put them in the closet and then like have that be part of a larger plan to like oh well she'll go in that room and then the room will be sanctified or something she can't escape that room or something yeah and nothing happened i was just like i feel like you're just missing all these opportunities to do something just mm-hmm. to like get patricia back involved in the story somehow and that's and that's and that's like the attitude of like 
we were doing things without consequence here. And then like, and that, and then I guess that's where like you're rolling your eyes at mm-hmm. and like where you felt that it was just like, when is this going to be over? I thought this would have been straightforward. And then like, nope, we got to do five or 20 different like dumb things first. Yeah. Like I thought for a, like a solid, like 30 seconds, probably that when, um, the Samantha, the girl was pulled out of the pool. Mm-hmm. I thought that was the end that like he had made the water holy or sanctified the pool. And like, her spirit was just trapped in there now, and he's going to be like, all right, you guys can't swim anymore. I was yeah. like, all right, that's the end. Fine, little underwhelming, but that mm-hmm. that's it. And it's like, Adults oh, no. Only. Yeah, it's like, no, you just made the water pure, so that way she had to leave, but now you just have to go back in the house. Uh-huh. But then the girl was somehow like connected to La Llorona, and that wasn't explored at all. And it just felt like they they chopped yeah, she, parts of this movie out by the end. She 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 latched onto those children, and they became her next targets. Mm-hmm. And so she was just going to go after them until she gets stabbed with a cross made from a fire tree. Yeah. I don't know. It was weird. And I wasn't really like the third act. I think it just kind of goes off the rails. And I was like, yeah, it, it, it just descends into like, it's, it's sort of like my prop. My biggest problem with the nun is where it's like, well, now we need to have the blood of Jesus yeah. Christ <laughs> to destroy the like, evil what? nun. And I'm like, okay, no, thank you. Yeah. And just it lost me there when it became like a relic Indiana Jones quest. Right. And then in the nun, the nun also did not die in that. Right. Like there's a, like it obviously comes back because it returns in conjuring two. Yes. I think, um, I've not seen the movie yet. That's what I believe I know about yep. it. Um, you, if you watch The Conjuring 2, you can watch the best scene, which is with the nun. Okay. And the photograph and the painting. But then in this movie, we're led to believe that um, La Llorona is gone, but we also know that this movie's part of the larger Conjuring universe. And then at the end of the movie, you can hear as the credits fade to black, uh, her cry return, yep. teasing that she, she can come back once again. Now that this movie is part of a larger universe that Michael Chavez is directing Conjuring 3 next. Uh, is there like a chance that we're going to see La Llorona again in the very near future? I don't know. Probably. We'll see. probably see another film set back into another period, I uh-huh. think. I think we'll get like an 18, an 1800s one, probably more established in Mexico. What um, if they did the La Llorona origin movie? Were they like, oh, that do, would be do, dark. like do the whole fall of that character? Yeah. You know, they already laid out her whole story. Mm-hmm. It'd be like a, like more interesting to see like w- when she kills her own kids and then what happens from that point on to make her this spiritual thing potentially. I don't yeah. know. I, I, would, I would take that or I would just take one set in a village 20 years later, 30 years later um, with you pay, pay, let's just pay out for Pedro Pascal to jump <laughs> into there. I mean Oscar Isaac. You could, you could. There's so many really I think, great. I think they're a little, a uh, little too pricey for what. They're probably these a little too pricey. Trying to do. I mean, this movie's made for nine million dollars supposedly, mm-hmm. so um, it's already going to make its money back by the end of its opening weekend, domestically alone. And then when this thing goes worldwide, uh, it'll be a big success again for this universe and probably launch a sequel or connect them in some ways down the line in the larger country universe so uh is there anything else you want to talk about with la Llorona? that covers it for me okay i am completely out of thoughts as well so uh that is our review of curse of la Llorona. i give it two and a half ticket stubs out of five josh would give it three let us know what you guys think of the movie as well on twitter at friends of film we're back in a bit with the news
Tanner are back with the news, and as well, I was going to start with our three main topics this week. Starting off with an update on Travis Knight's career, as Variety reported this week that he has attached himself to $6 billion man, the movie adaptation of the 1970s TV show uh, that will star Mark Wahlberg in the leading role, which is about a an operative who becomes cybernetically enhanced to basically a super soldier, um, goes on all these adventures, but he's now taking over. It's his first project since directing Bumblebee, which made almost a half a billion dollars worldwide. So nice success for him. And now he's going on to another potential franchise film here with $6 billion man. The script is currently being rewritten by Bill DeBook. Um, but the big news here is that Travis Knight has found his next project. Are you surprised to see him go this route after Bumblebee? And attach himself to a different franchise instead of sticking with Transformers or going back to Leica? Yeah, that's it's really. I don't think he would go back to Leica. Um, I think that was just his jumping point. I mean, I mean, he's still the founder of the company. He's the studio. He's part of it. He owns part of it. I don't. I don't really don't know the details there. But it's part. It's part Daddy's company. So true. <laughs> um, I kind of figured he would cut out on his own and get a production company or something like that going now that he's found some success as a director. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and now he's yeah lining up. It kind of looks like he's lining up the heroes of his like childhood, <laughs> whatever the case is. And so now he's grabbing uh, Mark Wahlberg and $6 billion man uh, and to run with it. I'm still not thrilled about, not thrilled. The, the, the prospect of the movie does not entice me at all. Mark Wahlberg is not my uh, go-to actor for mm-hmm. anything yet, but Travis Knight instilled a heck of a lot of heart in Bumblebee, um, and Mark Wahlberg has been on like a, a rom-com tour. Yeah, with uh, that one movie aside, that was really terrible. The one movie aside, or Transformers the, movie. No, the other Mile Twenty Two. Mile Twenty Two. At least it looked terrible, and I think you confirmed that. Yes, it was. It was, it was not good. Yeah, it was not good. Um, so, but maybe he's getting back into like quality with this one, um, or it turns out to be some wild sci-fi thing. And I mean, hey, I'll take superhuman strength and bionic implants any day for a film. <laughs> um, but we'll see what else we've got going here, um, because I mean, if it's just an action superhero enhanced movie like RoboCop or like that new RoboCop adaption, uh-huh. um, then it'll just kind of be like an eye roll. Like we don't need another one of these. Yeah. I mean, that's almost where my mind was going and what this movie is going to be now that Travis Knight's on board. Cause previously like, you know, Peter Berg was rumored, you know, years ago to potentially direct the movie. And then um, the director who left the project before uh, Travis Knight came aboard all kind of gave me the vibe. This is going to be potentially like a more adult R rated action sci-fi like mm-hmm. potential franchise. Um, but I don't think that's where Travis Knight's going to go next. I feel like he'll probably stick with the PG 13 range. I mean, maybe he's, you know, going to surprise us again. And his whole, you know, all of his interests lie in big budget R rated action movies. And he's just had to take Kubo to Bumblebee to get to this point potentially. But I'm more under the assumption that he's going to make like a more f- like traditional, you know, blockbuster sort of superhero esque action sci fi film. And, yeah. um, you know, if that's what we get, I think that's fine. Um, Travis Knight needs something to do if he's going to direct the next X Men movie at Marvel Studios. So it's, you know, <laughs> it's totally cool by me uh, that he passes his time with $6 billion man. Um, I have no familiarity with the $6 million man TV show that this is based off of, or the source material novel Cyborg. Yes, yeah. no familiar with either of those. I will say this, though, and this is one aspect of um, Cyborg, the book, that makes it interesting, mm-hmm. um, is 
that I did. I read some script notes and or script script. Is that the name of the website? Spark notes that place. Yes. Um, just, just on the book a little bit and got an overview of it. And like, there's one specific detail is that once, um, Austin, the main character, the $6 billion man gets those enhancements. He does not take to them really well. Like he's, he's sort of been like PTSD and, mm. you know, like, scar- like really scarred and does not dig the cybernetic enhancements at all. On the off chance this movie is sort of like a drama <laughs> rather than an action <laughs> thing, that would be crazy interesting and be an interesting aspect. But I, I don't think we're going that route. I don't think so. I don't think that's. I mean, but Bumblebee is was a was a heartfelt movie, and maybe the next thing is a little more drama um, rather than action. So if that's the case, I would be shocked and surprised delightfully. But then again, like you said, like I, I think it's Travis Knight just biding time until something it's something that he's been working on or comes up with, you know, jumps it and has he has the clout for something bigger. Right. His own. I think if there is anything that potentially like, you know, lends itself to your drama hopes of this movie, uh, it could be writer Bill DeBook because he wrote The Judge, which I've never seen, but you know, it was mixed reviews with Rob Downey Jr. in the lead oh, roles. Yeah, um, but he did write the Accountant, which I was a big fan of. I don't remember if you were as well. The Ben Affleck, Gavin oh, O'Connor movie. Yeah, no, that's um, terrific. So, yeah, so funny. if if he is bringing those sensibilities to this, great. Um, and he also is the creator of Ozark on Netflix. So those two later projects, you know, kind of hint towards a more mature drama focused adventure, and maybe that's mm-hmm. what we're going to get. Is a that's how this movie starts with the the PTSD angle, and um, you know. Mark Wahlberg kind of have to deal with this, and then it's the you know evolution of him from that point on, gaining these powers, learning about them, and then embracing them to do whatever the six billion dollar man does. Yeah, we think or like ideally, and we're now I'm just running with like script ideas here right. that'll never surface. But you you be you begin with that kind of thing, and then it's sort of like a darker. Um, Captain America, mm-hmm. where he's paraded around the country as you know the next generation of like super soldiers and it's like dealing with that before you know having one or two set pieces where he needs to like punch it up and use all of his powers to go save somebody or something like that it'd be really interesting yeah um but yeah no the judge is just really boring yeah that's that's what i've heard if it's, it's i mean it's it's interesting but it's robert jenny jr kind of just bleeding out his well, per- this his was his like life one shot at breaking away from Iron Man after the MCU kind of took off and it was like mm-hmm. no black team. He's like, well, okay, I'm just yeah. going to keep playing Iron Man for the next 10 years. Um, but I, I am excited about this potential pairing between Travis Knight and Mark Wahlberg. I'm big fans of both of them. So I hope this turns out to be something different than just a traditional, you know, blockbuster super in the vein of a superhero movie, uh, sort of a film here, but we'll have to wait and see obviously what, both of these men and Bill DeBook bring to the uh, project, which has been in development for several years now. So maybe this is finally time it gets off the ground. But we also have a report this week from Variety where they added some news about fellow Bumblebee member, but this time a cast member, John Cena. He is in talks to join James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, uh, which is a sequel to the 2016 Suicide Squad movie. Uh, The role was previously reported to be unknown, but then the writer of the article updated on Twitter that he believes that the role that Cena's up for is indeed Peacemaker. So 
We look to be getting our second new addition to the cast here with John Cena joining Idris Elba as the other new addition to the cast, um, which also includes Margot Robbie and potentially Joel Kinnaman, but Jai Courtney and potentially Amanda Wall and uh, Viola Davis as Amanda Waller. So mm-hmm. the cast is starting to fill up here. Are you, you know, excited for John Cena's version of Peacemaker in a James Gunn Suicide Squad movie? Uh, yeah, kind of. Because when we talked Peacemaker, um, we were doing with the idea of Baptista, Bautista? Bautista being in the role, and he would have been the more edgier version of that character. Uh-huh. But when you, for some reason, when I look at when I look at clean cut, pristine, very Herculean heroes that like him, like he almost looks like a, looks like a transformer in human form, right? Like with all that <laughs> armor and stuff like that. Ironically, um, Cena's name screams out at that for me. I don't know why. Um, and so I'm totally for the casting, but I just don't know about John Cena and his acting yet. I think I thought he was good in blockers, but uh-huh. definitely not the best part. Um, and he was good in transformers, but definitely not the best part. So it's like, I'm ready for him to get a role that he can make his own rather than anything else. And cause like, Bautista probably wouldn't have liked him if it not, had not been for Drax. Mm-hmm. So Peacemaker could very much be that same role for him, if that's indeed the case. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously... It's it's funny that this is the role that Dave Bautista was originally envisioned to have, uh, reportedly, in James Gunn's Suicide Squad, but has since had to pass on due to his schedule, um, that James Gunn would turn from Dave Bautista, a former wrestler-turned-movie star uh, that he's already worked with, to now you know, getting another former wrestler <laughs> right. turned potential movie star in John Cena. It's a, uh, it's a little on the nose. Both of them have invisibility powers with, you know, Drax saying, you know, you can't That's see right. me because I don't move. And John Cena's, you know, can't see me thing that he always does. So the similarities are quite astounding uh, between John Cena and Dave Bautista. But uh, I do like, I think, the fit of John Cena in this movie more than Dave Bautista. Because just when in the limited knowledge I have about Peacemaker, mm-hmm. just as a giant brute who just loves peace so much he'll kill anybody to make it happen i think that role needs that physicality that cena can bring but it also in gun's hands i think will scream you know comedic side character yeah Um, but in a more serious potential vein a la drax in the first guardians movie Mm -hmm. so i won't be surprised if that's ultimately what we get out of john cena is a guy who's straight-faced you know it's like his version of like gi joe or something but then yes. there's like the, but he's like, he's, he's so out of the loop of what is actually the reality of the situation that mm-hmm. like everything he's doing adds a comedic sense to the movie. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like he's a little more all American boy. Like when you look mm-hmm. at him in a lot of ways, I don't know if it's the crew cut or the You're hair right. or whatever the case is. Um, or not all American. I don't know what I'm going at, but like <laughs> he just screams like, oh, this would be the poster child of some kind of like army thing. And then, so when you, put in his head the idea of I love peace so now I have to go kill for it like the the mental gymnastics that I think Cena can do to get around for that will be either it'll be entertaining to watch him try to do it'll be <laughs> hilarious if he can do and I'm sure he can so I think when we get around to that especially with James Gunn's words in his mouth and his right. his ideas and the banter and the way he writes scenes like that so I think he could very well be the potential to be the breakout of the movie well and that's the other thing like he's not going to be like the main star of this movie mm-hmm. that's going to be Idris Elba and then it'll yep. probably be like Margot Robbie as the co-lead once again in this movie so that we're looking at John Cena being like 
most important character three or four, maybe even five potentially, uh, depending on who else they cast and the other importance of these other roles. But, uh, you know, Cena filling in like a Captain Boomerang style camp, like not cameo, but like he, I'm here for just comedic relief, but then also to show off some cool powers along the way. Like mm-hmm. I'm here for that. And I think Cena can hopefully deliver it with a limited dose what I think a lot of people have been kind of wanting to see from seeing on the big screen for a lot for a long time. So uh, on that note, let's move over to some 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 sadder news uh, that we got this week, uh, depending on how you look at it. THR reported this week that West Ball's Mouse Guard movie, uh, which was in development at Fox for a couple of months before Disney took over the company, has now been shut down two weeks before production was set to begin. The reasoning of this um, is twofold, it appears. One being that Disney looks at Mouse Guard, which would be a uh, you know, very expensive CGI heavy mm-hmm. live action animal sort of movie too similar to what they're already doing with many of the, many of their other projects. And they also want Fox to stay focused on more, you know, harder PG 13 and R rated movies mm-hmm. according to this report. Um, but also because the production budget of this movie due to it being completely motion capture, um, Basically, all CGI was reported at $170 million, according to THR. So when you have all this information at you, um, when I first read it, I was like, oh, man, like poor Wes Ball, big uh-huh. fan of his from the Maze Runner movies. And I was excited to see Mouse Guard because of his vision of it. But then, you know, there's still talks that it could land in another studio. So maybe Netflix or Warner Brothers or Universal or something else. Somebody else picks up this property and lets him make this. But if I'm a studio head, I'm not like, Wes, love the love love you love the potential concept of a Game of Thrones with mice CGI potential family adventure here, <laughs> um, but there is no way, no way we're greenlight this with a hundred and seventy million dollar budget. That is just mind blowing. I almost, I mean, I roll my eyes at that number. Whoa, that is a lot. I mean, like, listen, you had a stacked cast. Um, or not stack, but like, I mean, it's an, it's a it was, good cast. It was a good lineup. You had Idris Elba on your payroll, and it was is Andy Serkis in this one as well? I can't remember I, if he was actually attached. I'm or if sure it, he's somewhere. He's maybe. playing like a chair or a rock or something. Yeah, probably opens and smiles. Um, but there are so many good names on this. Yes, he is involved. He's oh in the yeah, cast. see there you go. Um, but like yeah, yeah, it does not make sense to go forward with it. Like and. The the novelty of it was just kind of like okay I guess this is the thing it's going on we'll see what happens it was like I was not totally thrilled about it you love West Paul more than I do mm-hmm. but I mean West Paul's now free to West Paul West Ball <laughs> is now free um to do some other things unless another studio picks it up takes which would this be over surprising. to Netflix or Amazon or um who else is really hungry in the streaming game I don't know I mean like I could Apple see- Plus. Yeah, Apple Plus. TV Plus. There's, I'm sure there'll be a place for it. Um, maybe, maybe with a stripped down budget. The movie, like, I don't know much about the concept or anything, but like, if you're trying to shell out this much money, yeah, it almost makes me wonder. I mean, it probably, I don't know if it cost even more then, but like, would like a, a an eight part series on Netflix do the job? Like, yeah, would that potentially be a better way to go about it, or do you really want this like giant fantasy mouse thing? And $170 million is like the bare minimum you can do it because of the technology that's required. Mm, yeah, that is that is a lot of dough. Yeah. A lot of cheese for this mice <laughs> movie. Uh, um, sorry, I had to do my it. Metaphors. Had to yeah, do it. it was too. It was just it, right yeah. there, and I can't believe I didn't stumble upon it. <laughs> 
I'm surprised it wasn't the first thing out of your mouth when I brought yeah, this up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, it's the it's the kind of thing where it's like, yes, like I do love West Ball, and I wish this movie could be made for his sake. Um, but also, like you mentioned, now he's free to go potentially do other things because just based on this price tag, I find it hard to believe that another studio um, is going to be like, yeah, sure, Wes, we'll give you $170 million for a talking mouse movie because that just immediately sets this movie up for failure. Like, in what world is this movie going to open above $40 million opening weekend? Yeah, no, that would be lucky. And at that point, like that's instant dead. That that's a not that's a movie right. that's not profitable unless it catches on somehow overseas. Um, it's a movie that is dead on arrival and it's a giant failure. And then execs probably get, get fired and it's just it's just a mess. And then West Ball's in like you know director jail for doing this giant movie that n- it was never going to succeed. Even if it is good, mm-hmm. it was all it like a hundred seventy million dollar price tag just sets this movie up for failure right from the start. Yep. So um, disappointing. But uh, hopefully Wes finds something else to do. Maybe yeah. Marvel uh, will feel bad. Disney will feel bad. Yes. And please. there you go. Let's get him. Uh, what could he do? I would like to see him take on a Spider-Man movie. Oh, interesting. So Sony could snatch him up. I mean, John Watts, like last week or something, signed up to, he attached himself to a Michael B. Jordan Methuselah project or something. That's so right. So he could be, you know, signed up for something post Far From Home, uh, which could keep him busy potentially. So sure, Wes Ball, if you want to come do Spider-Man 3, uh, Spider-Man Homeward Bound, sure. I think that would be the best one. All, all for the best. He's got a teen sensibility to him. Maybe he could do Fantastic Four, maybe. I don't know. Hmm, that would probably be, eh, maybe. I could, uh, West for anything. I'm, I'm happy. And you could <laughs> send him over to MGM. MGM? Are they the ones running with Walking Dead or Chaos Walking? Uh, well, Chaos Walking's doing reshoots. Did you see that this week? Yes. So Doug Lyman is helming that up. It's moving forward. Is that, who? where's that at? Uh, it's, it is MGM and I think Warner Brothers. Yeah, I'd send him over there to do the sequels if that movie lands. Sure. I mean, yeah, and then Doug Lyman can go on to do Edge of Toronto 2 as we've been, yeah, I've been yeah. waiting for. I know you haven't seen the movie yet. Right. Uh, one day, one day you will. Um, and now we'll move on to Ticket or Skip It. We'll talk about some movies that we'll hopefully see one, day. Uh, one of these days. Um, and one of these movies we'll probably be giving our ticket to, probably multiple of them, honestly, uh, just based on release schedules and everything. Uh, but we got our final trailer for Dark Phoenix dark phoenix this week including the second trailer for hobbs and shaw and the second trailer for child's play josh which one of these movies gets your ticket this week hobbs and shaw heck yeah what the heck this movie looks too good it looks looks incredible it just looks like the it has the attitude about it that all of these movies should have had about it they should have i mean once um after the sixth film the seventh film the seventh film um ended they should have just thrown any type of self-seriousness out the window the eighth one tried to do that but it couldn't it had to be like you, you know why it drama because of dominic toretto yeah. i think i think vin diesel takes these movies too seriously mm-hmm. to be like no we can't have the rock holding on to a helicopter with a chain and we can't have like a Samoan battle against, you know, <laughs> yes. trained, you know, snipers and everything. It's like, right. Just incredible things. Uh-huh. And so David Leach, uh, what, taking what he learned from Deadpool two, I imagine, mm-hmm. um, and just running rampant with number one, elegant, awesome action mm-hmm. all the way through. Jason Statham is, looks like he's as hard of a worker as, um, he got to choreograph with, uh, the John wick man 
who plays Chad John Stahelski? Wick. Chad like oh, Those Keanu two Reeves? together, yes. Yeah, Leach did John Wick 2. Uh, no. Chad Stahelski did John Wick 2. David Leach did Deadpool 2 and Atomic Blonde. But he's also somewhat tied to... He did. He co-directed the first John Wick. Thank you. That's why I attach him yes. with all the John Wicks. <laughs> all right. So, like, all of that's there. And it's gorgeous, and it's beautiful, and it's funny. It's physical comedy. That's the comedy that lands now, especially when you don't have wit. And then it just goes ludicrous, and that's like what I guess is the last act, where The Rock is just letting his roots out, you know? And I'm a 1,000% here for it. I didn't expect to like this movie. I rolled my eyes at every step of production, but it has his fingerprints all over it, and Vanessa Kirby's benefiting the most from it. because her awesome. Her action is so great that like and, spinning like she like grabs the knife with her foot and stabs a dude in the throat i was like oh my what mm-hmm. <laughs> never then, seen that before and there's like a, there's like there's like a, a thousand quick cuts at the end and she's doing some other like really mm-hmm. crazy stuff in full combat gear uh it's gonna be great to see when she gets back into the mission impossible movies um and then she gets a franchise of her own one day probably. hopefully Oof. perfect um yes i'm totally in agreement with you even though i think the dark phoenix trailer was actually okay I hmm. uh, it I think that mo- I think this trailer highlighted what was different about this adaptation of the Dark Phoenix saga instead of like the press trailers have all been like look at what the like, look at our remake of the Last Stand it's like yeah we've seen the movie before it was terrible now you're just redoing it again with <laughs> less investment in these characters but I I, I digress Hobbs and Shaw oh my goodness mm-hmm. just Bring it on. so so impressive um it's a movie that yeah like you mentioned. You know, it's full of cheese, but it's a movie that's finally embracing the cheese of these movies. I think that's what The Rock, for better or worse, whether you like it or not, that's what he goes for just to be just top of the line entertainment. Exactly. And I'm totally fine with that. You Mm -hmm. know, I may not have totally liked it at first, but I, The Rock has, and his approach to these movies has definitely grown, even though I think he's still made, you know, some less successful ones over the years, um, including, you know, recently with like Rampage or Skyscraper, you know, those didn't really land with me, but what him and Jason Statham and David Leach look to be pulling off here, including Idris Elba, who looks to be a great villain. And that fight between the three of them on the back of a uh-huh. car as like they go through a nuclear power plant that's in destruction or something. Oh, like yeah. it, I'm just like, what is happening? But I don't care. Like I don't care if this movie's breaking all the laws of physics or anything. Like uh-huh. it just looks incredible. <laughs> Everything about it is ridiculously, like you said, like on the nose. That's the rock style when he gets into movies. Um and so they're just going for it and like the whole like that opening clip of them being like whose door do you want and he's like right. i want this door <laughs> and then they go for it and then it that it just that's the quint that's the essence of the movie yeah it's I I mean, love it. it's so good i mean yeah statham just has to run through like a dozen dudes and the rock just has to punch one guy in the face one time and then they use like the head slamming to like to mm-hmm. open up the doors like <laughs> it's just so good and uh it the only thing that's a you're downside. Gonna, are you going to diss Idris Elba? No, oh, no, no, no. I think Idris Elba looks great in the movie. Yeah, um, Black Superman, I'm all yes. about it. <laughs> great line. Uh, I'm surprised they said it twice. I thought it was going to be like a one-time thing, but mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Uh, well, it's, I'm Black Superman. Wow, oh, he, really he really is. is yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh, I am a little bummed. That looks like they gave the whole movie away. Uh, <laughs> just yeah. in terms of, it's like, all right. Like, that's why I, I was like, when I pulled up, three minutes 12 seconds where the runtime is and it's like oh my like what mm-hmm. <laughs> and, but the crazy thing is it's like non-stop action so like we're gonna have like 10 set pieces of this movie and go to all these different countries and like it just it looks insane and i wish maybe we would have seen a little less of the plot um at the end but 
I mean, I don't really, I'm not going to this movie for the plot anyways. Yeah, the, so the, it's the opening dance number, not the dance number, but the um, the intimidation dances that they've mm-hmm. got going. That would have been hilarious to have kept under wraps yeah. before that. But also, it's a really great joke. So oh, it's so good. Go and then just to see that. like those guys like just charge at the armed guards and just tackle them. I'm like, what, mm-hmm. <laughs> what is it's, happening? It's nuts, but I'm all about it. And so, uh, you know, the big question here, though, with this trailer is, is The Rock's mom in the movie going to fight as well? She better. <laughs> she's got to. She's got to get that club. Like, it's so funny. <laughs> she's, or, she's definitely going to kill somebody. It'll happen. Or t- knock him or, out or take him or out. something yeah. like that. Yeah. Because that, yeah, that, that he'll just look at her and be like, whoa. Such a great, that was such a great joke, too. And Statham's just like, he's like, mom, where are all the guns? She's like, I got rid of them. <laughs> and then Statham's like, it's very responsible of you. <laughs> and, then, and then he's just like, we're screwed. <laughs> Vanessa Kirby's like, yep. And yeah, Vanessa Kirby, oh my goodness. Somebody... Just give her a franchise already because she just looks top of the line, uh, awesome. So uh, I think we've praised the Hobbs and Jaw trailer enough at this yes. point. Uh, we will wait uh, to see it in August, mm-hmm. early August when it drops. So it's still a little while away, but it's uh, also fastly approaching. So can't wait for that movie. Let's end this episode with The Flyby, uh, which starts with a new addition to the Eternals cast uh, with the rap reporting that Train to Busan actor Ma Dong Siak has joined the cast in an unknown role. Uh, Josh, have you seen Train to Busan? No, but you've told me to watch it. I, I did? You did. Oh, good for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, you. Um, but I didn't. I feel like you said something about subtitles in relation to the movie. Uh-huh. But that's there about subtitles. All. And that's all I remember. But I saw a gif of the movie and of this dude uh-huh. there, and he looks tough. Oh yeah, like he is—he's the tough guy, but he's also the caring father. Aww. Or I think his wife's pregnant in the movie, so they're gonna have a baby. Either way, he's like you know the tough but sensitive guy, kind of. Um, and he's really good in the movie, and I hope this is a action-oriented role that he's going to have with the Eternals because mm-hmm. that's what he is known. He's that's what he accomplishes in Training Busan, but also the rest of his, you know, filmography, which I've not seen. But just in seeing videos or, you know, stills of him, uh, he definitely can hold his own in combat. So if that's where we're going, I think he could be a good fit for the Forgotten One. Or even if they want to go, I think, a little outside the box, because normally Marvel goes with, you know, big names for their villain choices. Druig, uh, I think bringing a physical presence to him um, would be an interesting path for uh, Madong Siak to go on. So um, all on board for this training. I feel like it was streaming in somewhere at one point. Don't quote me on that. I mean, it probably was at some point, but I don't know if it is anymore. Um, but if you can, check it out. The action's really good, and it's a nice little zombie post-apocalyptic thing. So go check that out. Uh, we also got a report this week from The Hollywood Reporter where they revealed that Letitia Wright has joined the cast of Kenneth Branagh's Death on the Nile, the sequel to Murder of the Orient Express. Uh, she joins Gal Gadot and Army Hammer. Uh, this cast just keeps getting fantastic. It is so good. It is so good. And she is going to be perfect. And a character role um, with snappy dialogue and just camp all across the board. It's going to be fun, and I cannot wait for this next one. I hate that we've pushed it back, but I she probably wouldn't have been available for this role had it been on track for this November. That's probably, I don't know, maybe. It would have been close. I don't know what she's working on currently. If anything, other than jumping into Guava Island, right? So, <laughs> is Guava Island the reason she has this role? The the, the waves of that movie, <laughs> probably not. Maybe not. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, she doesn't have anything else on her IMDb at this point besides Endgame and Death on the Nile. So, uh, she 
could be doing it. And I think if, uh, yeah, I'm just interested to know when this movie's going to start filming because then that could clue us into when Black Panther 2 is going to film as well, potentially. So either way, Letitia Wright on Death and Nile, great. Hope she's not the killer or the to be killed because uh, that'd be that'd be kind of depressing uh, but we also got word this week uh, officially that michelle yo has joined the avatar sequels as dr karina moog so this movie and these the, the these these several movies that are coming from the james cameron avatar franchise just keep adding new people it seems like every other week or every other month and the cast just keeps getting pretty good I mean, we had a Kate Winslet before, now we're adding Michelle Yeoh, and I can't remember who was the last person to join, but I feel like they were impressive as well, and it just seems like, you know, uh, we talked about, I mentioned her, so, oh. like two weeks ago, somebody else joined, I don't remember who it was, um, but like, it just seems like these movies keep adding, oh, Vin Diesel was the, That's right. the possible cast, and like, they just keep adding names and star power, and... I don't know. As we talked before, I don't think Avatar 2, 3, 4, and 5 are, if you know they get that far... Um, I don't think they're going to disappoint people. We will see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, this 21st century, you know, this put like the, where the technology is now, will be the biggest part of it. But they've got the cast to blow us away. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Yeah, and I mean she's a human character, so we're not going to Good. not be seeing Michelle Yeoh in uh, her actual physical form. So that's a plus as well. Um, but we also got a report this week from Deadline that Clint Eastwood has apparently found his new. And next directorial effort, which will be the Ballad of Richard Jewell, which is a story based on the Olympic bombing uh, that happened in like the 70s, I think. But uh, Clint Eastwood 96. has 96. Mm-hmm. Oh, so in the 90s then. Yes. <laughs> uh, so off by a couple of decades, but no big deal. Um, but I've not been that big of a fan of Eastwood's last couple of movies um, as a director. So you watch The Mule? I've watched The Mule. Ugh. It's fine. Nothing special. 1517 Paris was maybe the worst movie of 2018 or 2017 when that movie came out. And uh, what was that came out before that? I don't remember. But hope, maybe hopefully this is the one to get him back back on track. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. It looks like it's another um, flight Captain Phillips. Um, what was Not that movie Captain called? Captain Phillips. The one with the airplane. Yeah, no. Sully. Sully, yes. Yeah. Which that one was again fine. It just sounds like Sully. He's like, you did something wrong. He's like, I didn't <laughs> do something wrong. And then it turns out he didn't do something wrong. So, but anyway, it sounds like a crazy drama. So we'll see how it lays out. Yeah. Um, and then as we kind of alluded to at the end of last week's episode, the Nun sequel is actually happening. Uh, this time we have a report from Deadline where they reported that Akila Cooper has signed on to write the sequel uh, to The Nun, which I believe at this moment is the highest grossing movie in the conjuring franchise so no surprise that a sequel is happening and uh you know okay i hope this uh is better than the last one yeah uh i hope so too i think it has the potential to be they've they can calibrate the sequel and we'll see who they get to direct but you know that story needed a better writer and yes so hopefully akila is can give us what we need for the nun fingers crossed um and then lastly here the uh the minecraft movie which has been in development for several years now uh now has a release date which is mind-blowingly far away it has now uh, been confirmed that it's going to hit theaters on march 4th 2022 so we are still uh three years away from seeing this movie but hey minecraft fans you had a movie on the way josh 
any excitement for 2022 at this point? No, I can't even think of like the Star Wars movie that'll be out in 2022. Will there be one? Uh, Minecraft, though, probably not, actually. I think about it. Minecraft, though, will not be a movie I'm excited for. It'll probably be like one of those, oh, that's a thing, like the Emoji movie. Oh, gosh, I hope it's better than Emoji movie. I mean, the director, whose name is slipping my mind right now, um, I know is like, has done good things in the past. Peter Solette, who I think did Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Um, yes, so I have hopes maybe he can bring some humanity to this movie, but again, I want to know more about the cast and story and execution and everything before I get really remotely interested in a Minecraft movie. Fair enough. So uh, that is all we have for this episode. Next week is the big one, the long-anticipated drop of Avengers Endgame. Me and Josh will be here for the review. We're also going to be doing a preview episode uh, this week, kind of running through a bunch of questions about the movie, seeing what we think could happen, if we want this certain thing to happen. Um, So be sure to check that out as well before you see the movie uh, as that drops on Wednesday. So uh, be on the lookout for that episode and our review next week as well. Uh, in the meantime, be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything covered by Trans Africa's film. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at MovieCooper. And you can get at me, Josh, just Joshua Ryan. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, head to iTunes and give us a five-star view with comments. Tell us why you enjoyed listening to the show. Thanks again for tuning in to the Friends for Podcast. Josh, thank you for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to turn next week for our future episodes.